Chapter Eight of A Small Boy and Others. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by M. B. A Small Boy and Others by Henry James. Chapter Eight. I feel that at such a rate I remember too much, and yet this mild apparitionism is only part of it. To look back at all is to meet the apparitional and to find in its ghostly face the silent stare of an appeal. When I fix it, the hovering shade, whether of person or place, it fixes me back and seems the less lost, not to my consciousness, for that is nothing but to its own, by my stopping however idly for it. The day of the daguerreotype, the August afternoon, what was it if not one of the days when we went to Union Square for luncheon and for more ice-cream and more peaches and even more, even most, enjoyment of ease accompanied by stimulation of wonder? It may have been, indeed, that a visit to Mrs. Cannon rather on that occasion engaged us. Memory selects a little confusedly from such a wealth of experience. For the wonder was the experience, and that was everywhere, even if I didn't so much find it as take it with me, to be sure of not falling short. Mrs. Cannon lurked near Fourth Street. That I abundantly grasp, not more definitely placing her than in what seemed to me a labyrinth of grave by-streets westwardly back of Broadway. Yet at no great distance from it, where she must have occupied a house at a corner, since we reached her not by steps that went up to a front door, but by others that went slightly down and formed clearly an independent side access, a feature that affected me as rich and strange. What the steps went down to was a spacious room, light and friendly, so that it couldn't have been compromised by an area, which offered the brave mystification, amid other mystifications, of being at once a parlour and a shop, a shop in particular for the relief of gentlemen in want of pocket-handkerchiefs, neckties, collars, umbrellas, and straw-covered bottles of the essence known in old New York as cologne, with a very long and big O. Mrs. Cannon was always seated at some delicate white or other needlework, as if she herself made the collars and the neckties and hemmed the pocket-handkerchiefs, though the air of this conflicts with the sense of importation from remoter centres of fashion breathed by some of the more thrilling of the remarks I heard exchanged, at the same time that it quickened the oddity of the place. For the oddity was in many things, above all, perhaps, in there being no counter, no rows of shelves, and no vulgar till for Mrs. Cannon's commerce. The parlour clearly dissimulated the shop and positively to that extent that I might uncannily have wondered what the shop dissimulated. It represented, honestly, I made out in the course of visits that seemed to me to have been delightfully repeated, the more informal of the approaches to our friend's brave background or hinterland, the realm of her main industry, the array of the furnished apartments for gentlemen, gentlemen largely for whom she imported the eau de cologne and the neckties, and who struck me as principally consisting of the ever-remarkable uncles, desirous at times, on their restless returns from Albany or wherever, 
of an intimacy of comfort that the New York Hotel couldn't yield. Fascinating thus the implications of Mrs. Cannon's establishment, where the talk took the turn, in particular, of Mr. John and Mr. Edward and Mr. Howard, and where Miss Maggie or Miss Susie, who were on the spot in other rocking chairs and with other poised needles, made their points as well as the rest of us. The interest of the place was that the uncles were somehow always under discussion as to where they at the moment might be, or as to when they were expected, or above all as to how. The how was the greater matter and the fine emphasis. They had last appeared and might be conceived as carrying themselves, and that their consumption of neckties and eau de cologne was somehow inordinate. I might have been judging it on my innocence as their only consummation. I refer to those sources, I say, the charm of the scene. The finer part of me must yet have been that it didn't, as it regularly lapsed, dispose of all mystifications. If I didn't understand, however, the beauty was that Mrs. Cannon understood. That was what she did most of all, even more than hem-pocket handkerchiefs and collars. And my father understood, and each understood that the other did, Miss Maggie and Miss Susie being no wit behind. It was only I who didn't understand, save in so far as I understood that, which was a kind of pale joy. And meanwhile, there would be more to come from uncles so attachingly, so almost portentously discussable. The vision, at any rate, was to stick by me, as through its old-world friendly grace, its light on the elder amenity, the prettier manners, the tender personal note in the good lady's importations and anxieties, that of the handmade fabric and the discriminating service, fit to figure as a value anywhere, by which I meant in the right corner of any social picture, I afterwards said to myself, that refined and composed significance of Mrs. Cannon's scene. Union Square was a different matter, though with the element there also that I made out that I didn't make out. My sense of drama was in this case, I think, rather more frightened off than led on, a drawback for which, however, I consoled myself by baked apples and custards, an inveterate feature of our Sunday luncheon there, those of weekdays being various and casual, and by a study of a great store, as it seemed to me, of steel-plated volumes, devoted mainly to the heroines of romance, with one in particular presenting those of Shakespeare, in which the plates were so artfully coloured and varnished, and complexion and dress thereby so endeared to memory, that it was for long afterwards a shock to me at the theatre not to see just those bright images, with their peculiar toggeries, come on. I was able but the other day, moreover, to renew almost on the very spot the continuity of contemplation. Large, lumpish presences, precarious creations of a day, seemed to have elbowed out of the square all but one or two of the minor monuments, pleasant, appreciable things, of the other time. Yet close to University Place, the old house of the picture books, and the custards and the domestic situation had, though disfigured and overscored, not quite received its death-stroke. I disengaged, by a mere identification of obscured window and profaned portico, a whole chapter of history, which fact should indeed be a warning to penetration, 
a practical plea here for the superficial by its exhibition of the rate at which the relations of any gauge of experience multiply and ramify from the moment the mind begins to handle it i pursued a swarm of such relations on the occasion i speak of up and down west fourteenth street and over to seventh avenue running most of them to earth with difficulty but finding them at half a dozen points quite confessed to a queer stale sameness the gauge of experience as i say had in these cases been strangely spared the sameness had in two or three of them held out as with conscious craft but these are impressions i shall presently find it impossible not to take up again at any cost i first realized fourteenth street at a very tender age and i perfectly recall that flush of initiation consisting as it did of an afternoon call with my father at a house there situated one of an already fairly mature row on the south side and quite near sixth avenue it was as our house just acquired by us that he thus invited my approval of it heaping as that does once more the measure of my small adhesiveness i thoroughly approved quite as if i had foreseen that the place was to become to me for ever so long afterwards a sort of anchorage of the spirit being at the hour as well a fascination for the eyes since it was there i first fondly gaped at the process of decorating i saw charming men in little caps ingeniously formed of folded newspaper where in the roaring city are those quaint badges of the handicrafts now mounted on platforms and casting plaster into moulds i saw them in particular paste long strips of yellowish-grained paper upon walls and i vividly remember thinking the grain and the pattern for there was a pattern from the waist high down a complication of dragons and sphinxes and scrolls and other fine flourishes a wonderful and sumptuous thing i would give much i protest to recover its lost secret to see what it really was so interesting ever to retrace and sometimes so difficult of belief in a community of one's own knowing is the general aesthetic adventure are the dangers and delusions the all but fatal accidents and mortal ailments that taste has smilingly survived and after which the fickle creature may still quite brazenly look one in the face our quarter must have bristled in those years with the very worst of the danger signals though indeed they figured but as coarse complacencies the age of brownstone had just been ushered in and that material in deplorable in monstrous form over all the vacant spaces and eligible sites then numerous between the fifth and sixth avenues more and more affronted the day we seem to have come from a world of quieter harmonies the world of washington square and thereabouts so decent in its dignity so instinctively unpretentious there were even there spots of shabbiness that i recall such as the charmless void reaching westward from the two houses that formed the fifth avenue corner to our grandfather's our new york grandfather's house itself built by him with the happiest judgment not so long before and at no distant time in truth to be solidly but much less pleasingly neighboured the ancient name of the parade ground still hung about the central space and the ancient wooden palings then so generally accounted proper for central spaces 
the whole image infinitely recedes, affected even my innocent childhood as rustic and mean. Union Square, at the top of the avenue, or what practically then counted for the top, was encased, more smartly, in iron rails and further adorned with a fountain and an aged amateur-looking constable, awful to my generation in virtue of his star and his switch. I associate less elegance with the parade-ground, into which we turned for recreation from my neighbouring dame's school, and where the parades deployed on no scale to check our own evolutions, though indeed the switch of office abounded there, for what I best recover in the connection is a sense and smell of perpetual autumn, with the ground so muffled in the leaves and twigs of the now long defunct ailanthus tree that most of our own motions were a kicking of them up. The semi-sweet rankness of the plant was all in the air, and small boys pranced about as cavaliers whacking their steeds. There were bigger boys, bolder still, to whom this vegetation, or something kindred that escapes me, yielded long black bean-like slips which they lighted and smoked, the smaller ones staring and impressed. I, at any rate, think of the small one I can best speak for as constantly wading through an Indian summer of these disjecta, fascinated by the leaf-kicking process, the joy of lonely trudges, over a course in which those parts, and the slightly more northward, pleasantly confound themselves. These were the homely joys of the nobler neighborhood, elements that had their match, and more, hard by the Fourteenth Street home, in the poplars, the pigs, the poultry, and the Irish houses, two or three in number, exclusive of a very fine Dutch one, seated then, this last, almost as among gardens and groves. A breadth of territory still apparent on the spot, in that marginal ease, that spread of occupation, to the nearly complete absence of which New York aspects owe their general failure of style. But there were finer vibrations as well, for the safely prowling infant, though none perhaps so fine as when he stood long and drank deep at those founts of romance that gushed from the huge placards of the theatre. These announcements, at a day when advertisement was contentedly but information, had very much the form of magnified playbills. They consisted of vast oblong sheets, yellow or white, pasted upon tall wooden screens, or into hollow sockets, and acquainting the possible playgoer with every circumstance that might seriously interest him. These screens rested sociably against trees and lamp-posts, as well as against walls and fences, to all of which they were, I suppose, familiarly attached. But the sweetest note of their confidence was that, in parallel lines, and the good old way, characters facing performers, they gave the whole cast, which in the palmy days of the drama, often involved many names. I catch myself again in the fact of endless stations in Fifth Avenue, near the southwest corner of Ninth Street, as I think it must have been, since the dull, long run didn't exist then for the young Badeau, and the poster there was constantly and bravely renewed. It engaged my attention whenever I passed, as the canvas of a great master in a great gallery holds that of the pious tourist, 
and even though I can't at this day be sure of its special reference, I was with precocious passion at home among the theatres, thanks to our parents' fond interest in them, as from this distance I see it flourish for the time, and to the liberal law and happy view under which the addiction was shared with us, they never caring much for things we couldn't care for, and generally holding that what was good to them would be also good for their children. It had the effect certainly of preparing for these, so far as we should incline to cherish it, a strange little fund of theatrical reminiscence, a small hoard of memories maintaining itself in my own case for a lifetime, and causing me to wonder today, before its abundance, on how many evenings of the month, or perhaps even of the week, we were torn from the pursuits of home. End of chapter 8